0: Welcome everybody to the It's a Crazy Life podcast. My name's Sarah and I will be your host. This podcast is dedicated to raising awareness for mental health whilst helping to end the stigma. It is my intention with this podcast to motivate, educate and inspire you on your very own journey to become the best versions of yourself. Welcome back everybody to the It's a Crazy Life podcast. Today we are tackling a big subject, so I am giving this episode a trigger warning, as you will have seen in the content. Um, that is just in case this may be sensitive for anybody, so please do take care of yourselves. But today we are hearing from the amazing Kirsty Fraser again, and Kirsty is going to share with us her story with food addiction. Obviously, Kirsty is only going to share with us what she feels comfortable in doing, but a huge, massive, well done and total respect for being so brave and sharing this with us, Kirsty. Thank you so much. As ever, the intention with the show is to share our stories in the hope of giving people motivation, inspiration and education. So let's jump in. Welcome, Kirsty. Welcome back to the It's a Crazy Life podcast. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you for having me on again. No, <laughs> it's good to be you. back here.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, we can't wait to hear your story. Um, so today we, well, this season is all about addictions and vices and crutches, and today is a really important one, um, I believe, from yourself. All about yeah. food. Okay. Yes, because obviously we need to eat food to survive. So what do you do if that is your addiction or or vice? So
1: this is it's
0: a be... very tricky one mm. so yeah I, I have great sympathy with you I think I'd rather be addicted to the cocaine than to the
1: <laughs> <laughs> in all fairness there have been times in my life when I've actually wished the same why could it not be something else that uh, has actually gone through my head on quite a few occasions why could it not have been something else
0: oh my goodness that's even that is mm.
1: groundbreaking just to hear you say mm. that it's very crazy. It is really when you think that you'd wish yourself an addiction to something, yeah, other than what you already have, because you feel it might actually be better than what you go, you know, what you've lived with, sort of thing. So, I suppose I remember sharing with everybody, um, way, way, way back,
0: that I wished mm-hmm. that I had an addiction to exercise rather than to to drugs, mm-hmm. and I yeah. I thought that was a good addiction, but actually, no. Like even being addicted to no. exercise can be detrimental it can,
1: exactly it can still take control of your life it can still cause problems with your relationship it can still cause problems with your work aren't it any sort of addiction can infiltrate every area of your life search and cause problems so it's, cra- it's a crazy life
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay so kirstie you're here to share your service on food addiction so my first question to you is how did this all begin and when did you first notice that it was actually an addiction?
1: Um, it's quite hard to answer that, to be fair, because it almost feels like it's always been there. Right. OK. Um, I can't say it's not again. It's it's not like you remember having your first drink yeah. or you remember a time when you first took a drug your drug of choice you eat from the second you're born (laughs) so food's always in your life so it's trying to sort of figure when it became a problem um I think for me the first time I really noticed there was a problem was probably when I was at uni okay and I remembered that because I've got it's this typical thing. I mean, I'm six foot tall, I can carry weight quite well. You know, I can lose or put on a good stone and a half, two stone before you notice because I'm so tall. Yeah. Um, but I remember when I went to university and typical student, and I was out, I was drinking, I was living off junk food. I was a student nurse where so I was working some crazy hours as well, eating late at night. You know, you get back being a student at sort of 10 at night. Are you gonna sit there and make yourself a salad? No, you're just gonna order a pizza in or something like that. And it was so it was when I was at uni, really, that I noticed that I was obviously putting on weight. And there was a friend of mine at uni, and she definitely looking back, say there was an issue around food for her. Um then there was a conversation with David decided we were trying to lose some weight, and a button, a, f- a switch flipped. Okay. And I think that was when I started to realise that this isn't right, this isn't normal. Um, as so I know a lot of people who've decided to go on a healthier diet an exercise plan they want to change things and it's about making changes it's about everything in moderation but for me there's no moderation right just doesn't exist and I think that was the first time really that I became aware of it yeah and so
0: What would you do then? Would you would you just eat loads of food and just keep eating or or what was
1: No, I remember that when I first started to sort of try and lose weight, it went the other way. It became quite restrictive. Right. Um which would be manageable. Again, it's that whole thing when you're nursing, I mean you can do a twelve hour nursing chef and you don't stop for a cup of tea, let alone food. You just don't think about it. So in all fairness being restrictive. It wasn't really hard, um, but then it's like, I would imagine for someone with an alcohol or a drug addiction or gambling, it still sits in the back of your head. And then eventually, I seem to remember there was an incident where eventually it was like the overwhelm of having to have the food just took over. I and mean, I was on a weekend off or something. I was probably on, on my own. And I think that was probably the first time then it was just something like eat, out of control eating, which then resulted in the, oh, my God, what have I done? I've lost all this weight. Now I've gone and screwed it all up. I failed. What can I do? Get rid of the food. Get rid of the food. Pretend it never happened. And then that's when the uh, eating order, eating disorder I think, reared her ugly head for the very first time. But then even then, at the time, you think, oh, I'll only do it once. Oh, I'll only do it one more time. Oh, well, a couple of times won't hurt. And then before you know, you are caught in this vicious, vicious, dark whirlpool cycle that sucks you in and is nigh on impossible to get out of to be honest
0: yeah well can i ask because i like watching coronation street and there's a girl on there at the moment who's doing that oh, okay thing. she's just been diagnosed with diabetes and so she gouges on the food and then she's throwing up but why what, right. what strikes me is what what goes through like what goes through your mind when you're when you're re- rejecting all that food so you're throwing it all up does it feel like a release
1: or yes I... it feels like a release it almost feels cleansing it almost feels like a phew that's over that's done
0: and would that then make you think well i can eat what i want and then i just throw it up it's
1: okay um it used to it did used to definitely you could think that you could go out and eat whatever you wanted and that's all right I'll just get rid of it I think in the beginning it's very much like that you almost use it as a way to keep slim this is again this is the thing people sort of assume with bulimia especially that it's about staying slim yeah. but ultimately it ends up going down a much darker road it's not anything to do with that because you tend to find most bulimics are either of average or overweight Right. Very, very rare are they what you would perceive someone with an eating disorder to look like. Um they're generally, like I say, normal weight or above. Um it became um I think it was in the beginning it was like a that was great, I can eat what the heck I want and get rid of it. Brilliant, staying nice and slim. And then it became a a stress relief. Then it was almost like I can eat because obviously with addiction you are trying to suppress something so the food was suppressing my own emotional you know gremlins that were going on inside and then it went so it then went to the eating to suppress to then the um sort of oh well I can just get rid of it now oh that feels better to then progresses to the eating the awful negative self-talk of um Sorry, Mm -hmm. of absolute pure utter hatred for yourself right to then have to get rid of it and then the shame kicks in okay but I think for me the difference is I was thinking about this earlier on because I knew we were going to be chatting and it's like you can't get away from food no you can if you have or had an alcohol addiction, you've got it under control, you can still go with your friends maybe to a a bar and have a a soft drink if you've obviously got it that much under control and you're okay with it there. You can lead a dry life. You can't go out for a meal with your friends and not eat. Yeah. You can have Christmas Day with your family and stick to the orange juice and forget the champagne or the Prosecco or the whatever it is, you know. You can't... Go to Christmas Day with your family and not eat. You go to a party, food, Christmas, food, New Year, food, birthdays, food, celebration, food, it's summer, let's have a barbecue, food. (laughs) Food is everywhere. You know, it's drugs, I think, are a bit harder to come across. You don't work into your local corner shop and there's, you know, Bit of heroin on the side, along with the cocaine and some weed (laughs) in the middle. But there is bloody food. (laughs) Telly, turn the telly on. All the adverts, food. It's just literally everywhere. You cannot escape it at all. So would that trigger you then?
0: Like say for instance let's talk about christmas. Like would that how, what is the thought process what would you be thinking leading up to christmas day knowing that you're going to be surrounded with loads of food?
1: Uh christmas day is a weird thing actually because this is going to sound really bizarre. I have a food addiction. Yeah, I hate being full. Wow, God, I on. absolutely hate being full. I hate the feeling of being full maybe that's because obviously in the past with the bulimia if I got to that feeling I would then eliminate it the feeling went away perhaps the you know it could be almost a case of but I've got rid of the food don't feel full anymore that feels good so feeling full got to get rid of not feeling full is okay so maybe it's that but of course Christmas Day leading up to Christmas and everything it's just food everywhere
0: yeah
1: and yeah just Christmas Day thought of even now the thought of sitting at a table and eating like a big roast turkey dinner or whatever and then feeling full afterwards is just like, oh no. Yeah. yeah.
0: What does it like how how does that come out then? Like what, what is the feeling the feeling of being full? Why is that a negative to you?
1: Feels dirty. I... Feels failure. I feel like even though everybody else has just eaten the same food, quite often, in all fairness, more. I feel like everyone's sat there looking at me, fat cow, that sort of thing. There's that element to it. I feel like everyone would be looking at me.
0: Has this come from anywhere? Like, because like, you know, you know how it is. Like these things that manifest in our in our adult life is usually not all the time, but sometimes connected to a trauma in childhood. Mm. So, is there anything there that could maybe have
1: triggered this? Um. I highly suspect so. Um, I know we've talked in the past, and I know there's an element of about three years in my childhood between the age of three and seven, obviously critical child development age, where I have no memory. Yes. So maybe something that happened there. But one thing, I know my parents split when I was three, and that's that was sort of the last thing I remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember when I was older, and we've talked about this in the past, my mum was always very she's got a very bad relationship with food um i never remember when we were kids sitting down for dinner she'd never sit down and eat a meal with us she didn't eat dinner at all she never did um don't remember eating breakfast particularly um i always remember the freezer being full this is this is going back to the 80s of lean cuisine meals it was always just rammed full of processed lean cuisine meals um but she'd never sit down and have a meal with us we never had family meals ever you know like you see this romantic vision of mum's made a lovely cottage pie and she puts it in the middle of the table and everyone sits around and eats together that never ever happened christmas day it would that'd be it but even then she'd push her food around the plate and wouldn't really eat properly so there was very sort of definitely would have picked up on that yes but i know she was also quite restrictive of food when we were little you know, there would be sort of crisps or biscuits and stuff like that around, but they were rationed and they were limited. And there was almost this, I think there's a bit of an element, really, of if you wanted it or you ate it, I could just imagine my mum looking at you. Sort of, maybe she was, because she wouldn't eat it, but perhaps she really wanted to. Right. So she wouldn't let me and my brother eat it. Maybe because she didn't want to see it. I don't know what her reasons were. I can't explain it to her. But definitely eating around my mum was never a good experience. It was always restrictive and kind of felt like you were doing something wrong. Right.
0: Hmm.
1: But then when I would go to my dad's for the weekend, we would go on the Friday evening, um, which would generally be would go out and get something for tea so it'd be like fish and chips and then saturday morning we'd go shopping to get the food for the weekend and dad would just let us basically have whatever we wanted which was quite a shock um we were allowed to choose all the sweets and the cakes and the crisps and my thing's always savory stuff savory savory foods my thing i'd rather have something like cheese than chocolate um but then when we're at dad's you know we would tell can we can we have something to eat and whereas before it'd be no it would be yeah of course so like eating at dad's was quite pleasurable yeah but then being at mum's eating was a bad thing it felt eating was a bad thing so there's almost this war going on in your head constantly eating's good with dad eating's bad with mum and I guess just this, what side's going to win? Yeah. And I think I enjoyed eating at dad's and I wanted the feelings of pleasure that I got from that, of being able to eat something, being able to eat some chocolate without feeling guilty, without feeling shame, without feeling like I shouldn't be doing this, without feeling like i will be told off. Yes. Yeah. Um. And I suppose as I was older, you know, transferring that through to adult me, I guess I was still trying to get those feelings, but then the feelings I associate with eating around my mum would kick in. So then it'd be got to get rid of this food. So looking at the cycle, I think you're looking at, you've got the eating versus the elimination of the food. It's basically trying to please both my parents. I'm trying to keep everyone happy.
0: Yeah, that seems like the psychology behind it all.
1: And that's... It's the kind of only thing I can come up with, to be fair.
0: <laughs> and it's, it's, it's bonkers. You know, we don't, we don't realise how much our childhood traits actually transfer mm. into adulthood. And we, we live mm. by that. And It can be quite, yeah. you know, like looking back at that now. That that's quite. Um, I'm sure your mom didn't mean to instill this. Into- oh, God, no. But just by you watching her and and being aware of how she dealt with the food situation, yeah, you transferred that into adulthood. And like you were saying about being six foot tall and and able to, mm. you know, uh, you know, wear the weight. Wow, like. That, that must have like you know to a certain extent made you feel quite safe because yeah I can I can eat a lot but then yeah the guilt and the shame kick in and you know stop you like how do but you also
1: well, about being six foot tall you're very visible you are noted I mean I was six foot tall when I was a when I was sort of like 12 years old so I towered over everybody I was taller than most of my teachers <laughs> <laughs> you could kind of see me coming so again i don't know maybe maybe the eating you know this need for food does take me back to a place of safety and comfort at my dad's my dad was a very very introverted man i'm quite introverted Yeah. um you know he was quite happy at home hidden away doing his thing and I'm a bit the same, and I think there's probably an association with that again. I can hide at Dad's, no one can see. I can eat, no one can see me. It's safe.
0: Isn't that crazy? Because last week mm. I said that the reason why I continue to take drugs and all the rest of it is because I felt safe and I felt like I belonged in that
1: environment. Mm. Yeah. Oh. it's what felt right because also at home with mum I had my stepdad and he wasn't a particularly nice person to say the least so mum's wasn't safe dad's was Dad's was where the food was food safety enjoyment security pleasure all links back to food but then as soon as mm-hmm. you do that action and
0: you make yourself feel safe and comfortable the guilt and the shame jump in And then you're back living under mom's roof, and it's bad. So I've got to now release all of this. How do you combat that? How do you make sense of all of that? And
1: (laughs) it's it's hard. It is quite literally a daily daily battle. I mean, even today, I um, got up this morning, had um, you know healthy breakfast with the kids. I made a big thing of porridge. We all have porridge. I um, love porridge <laughs> and because out of school and I said yeah I went to the gym got back and I was very conscious of the time that we were meeting was all going to be around lunchtime so it's like well it was before and it's like well do I eat now even though I'm not yet hungry well if I don't eat now and I wait till after I'm going to be hungry and I knew then I would probably eat uncontrollably right so even today I'm having to work out when to eat to best avoid overeating.
0: Wow. So
1: <laughs> oh my
0: goodness. So how do you like how do you decide then? How like did you eat before we got on the call or?
1: Yeah. Oh well done. I did before because I know what we're like and I knew <laughs> that it would be late and I thought. I would be really hungry by then. And I knew I would, I knew I would, especially as I've only recently been shopping and the cupboards are full. So.
0: I love that when you go, go shopping, th- and there's all this good stuff and you eat it all.
1: <laughs> Not so good. For I people. love it actually. When when the cupboards are empty, I love it because it takes away the options. But then also the kids don't like that quite so much because they're like, oh, <laughs> mom, I'm hungry. What can I eat? <laughs> nothing. Yeah, there's nothing in the cupboard
0: beans on toast that's all you're like getting <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> oh my goodness but no it's constantly you're trying to and the thing is is what this is going to sound odd and if there is anyone listening that is kind of relating to what I'm saying they may well relate to this and I'm in no way taking anything away from people that have addictions to alcohol drugs or anything like that yeah but it almost feels like saying I'm an alcoholic or I'm a recovering alcoholic or I'm a recovering drug addict or I'm a recovering gambler. People are always sympathetic, supportive. Oh, well done. You know, well done. It's really hard to get over. Well done. But if you say you have a food addiction, you are kind of met with, well, just stop flipping eating. Stop being so greedy. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's it almost sense. acceptable to be addicted to alcohol and drugs, but to food, people are just like, "Oh, you're just a fat cow. <laughs> you're just eating too much." And it's like, no, because it's not. It's it's in all fairness, I personally it is one of the hardest addictions to have because, as I said earlier on, it's everywhere. Yeah, you have to eat to survive. You don't have to drink vodka to survive. You don't have to take, you know, put heroin inside you to survive, but you do have to eat to survive. And it's constantly every day trying to stop that switch being flipped. That was quite hard to say. (laughs) (laughs) To having a healthy, nutritious meal where you feel satisfied at the end. And then the switch goes and then it's like, way right, what else is in the cupboard? There's just no off switch. I remember we were talking not so long ago and it's like I said, I can't go to the cupboard and just get a pack of crisps. It'll have to be two or three.
0: And what's that feeling? So you've got, you've had your first packet of crisps and then you're going for the second one. What, how does it feel? Like, what is that?
1: Have you ever been one of these really massive roller coasters where you go over the edge and you teeter on the edge and then all of a sudden you plummet and you're falling? Yeah. And there's nothing you can do. Yeah, it's a bit like that to be fair. Oh really? <laughs> so you kind of know once you go over that edge. Yeah, once you go over that edge. And then I spent- generally the only thing that will stop me will be another human being coming around, either a friend turning up or um one of the kids coming round ra- coming back from school or things like that and then what happens then because you're kind of forced to well this is the thing you're obviously forced to because I'm not going to sit there and eat like I don't know six packs of biscuits in front of my kids because I'm very aware that I have potentially picked up some of this from my childhood and I'm very aware not to pass this on to mine especially as I do have a teenage daughter um but the weird thing is if I am forced to stop nothing happens. The world doesn't implode. I'm still okay. Nothing goes wrong. So again, you're kind of then left thinking, well, why do you, why do I do it then? If I can stop because my son's just come down the stairs, or they've come home from school, why can't I stop at the end of a meal when you've had a reasonable amount of food and you're happy and yeah. But also, I think with the years and years of what I would call food abuse, as such, <clears throat> whereas most people eat and you eat something, you you're like, "Oh yeah, I'm full." Don't get that message that says you're full. I literally will be. There'll be nothing, or there will be that you know that horrendous fullness you get when you've eaten far too much and you can't move and it's horrible feeling it's that or nothing there's no oh yeah I'm full now I'll stop that that doesn't register at all
0: the way I see it almost
1: like this faulty wiring
0: yeah it's like exactly like for me when I was drinking heavily like there was no like I couldn't go and have a pint (laughs) Mm. it was even nothing or smashed yeah there's no in between yeah Like once I start I can't stop
1: yeah There's like the the sensors broken, isn't it? That registers what you're doing.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine that food. I can't imagine, like.
1: Well, that's the thing. And it's even, it has even flipped around in the past on a few occasions where it's like, well, if I start eating, I can't stop. So I just won't start eating. Yeah. That's what I'll do. I just won't eat. Well, that works fine for a couple of days. But sooner or later, you have to eat. And then, of course, because you haven't eaten for a couple of days, the floodgates open and you're just back to square one. Wow. And
0: is there any triggers for you? So could anything sort of...
1: Certain foods. Right. Definitely certain foods. Um, And thinking about it, they tend to be foods that I would have eaten at my dad's. Ah. So this could sound really weird I always remember at does I used to have um you know you get the cup of soups yeah you just the sachets put the boiling water on chicken chicken cup of soup and cream crackers with butter on and I used to break the crackers in half and dunk them in the soup Ooh. and I would sit in dad's sofa curl up with that and I love I couldn't eat that now because that would just I, I, I would say open the floodgates but I think it might blow them up <laughs> they, would, they would never be repairable <laughs> but yeah there's definitely I have noticed that it's definitely things I would have eaten at dad's that yeah. trigger and again I don't know if maybe it's a case of oh well I had this at dad's and I'm not allowed this at mum's and then the shame kicks in right oh my
0: god This I can't I'm listening to you and I'm understanding what you're saying,
1: but I still can't get it because yeah. It's, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard for me to get my head around in all fairness. You know, I I was saying, earlier, I went to university. I went to university and trained as a nurse. I know all about health and nutrition. I'm also a qualified counselor. I'm a qualified therapist. I specialize in mindfulness and I still can't get my head around it. A lot of the time I'm certainly a lot better than I was million times better than i was and my own training has helped me in that enormously but i think as well i used to have quite a lot of codependent traits Mm -hmm. and i was most definitely a people pleaser and i had quite an anxious attachment style which made me just a horrendous people pleaser and all i did constantly was try and please my mum and my dad. Yeah. Maybe oh girl, this could throw this could throw a spanner in the works. I'll see it as said that there's a big gap in my memory as a child. I remember my mum telling me that her and my dad were splitting up and I have no memory for a good few years. Maybe I blame myself. I don't know. Maybe there's an element there. Maybe I thought it was my fault. So if I kept both of them happy, dad might it's is hard, isn't it? You know, the way children can think that. They can, can be predisposed to blame themselves, or it's not their fault, It's never a child's fault. But as children, you do think, well, if I'm really, really good, daddy will come back. And if I do this, dad will come back. And if I keep mum happy, she'll let dad come back. Or it, it's, it's all that element, isn't it? That potentially goes on in a child's head. Yeah, the... it, just,
0: it, just, it just highlights
1: yet again, that
0: we, as adults, we've got to be so careful and how we behave around the kids because like people say oh kids are resilient they'll bounce back yeah that's what you think until they get into their teens and they're reliving that childhood and they're living out traits that are
1: unhealthy because of what happened in said childhood. exactly they may appear to bounce back in front of your eyes but i can probably guarantee their subconscious mind it's all in there yeah. All the all ba- all the child bouncing back is the fact that the conscious mind's gone. All right, then okay. But the subconscious mind has still got it all. Yeah. It's still got it all,
0: and which like I think say, is
1: why it's so important for children as well to be able to talk about how they feel. Yeah, and like you say, y- you know, kids. I,
0: I know in my own childhood, I thought that I could fix everything. I, you know, I'd run around thinking, well, if I do this, then Dad'll be okay, and he won't have a go at us, and he won't try. Honestly, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, all
1: perfect. Yeah, and everything everything will be all right. But it doesn't work like that because it's never the child's fault. It's not down to, was never down to you. It was never down to me. And that's one thing I have realized a lot over the last few years, especially it's not my place to make my mum happy or make my dad happy. It's not my responsibility. I was a child, but as with addictions, they take over. Yes. And it almost doesn't become about whatever the initial cause was in the first place. It's now a habit. It's a pattern. And it's a case of trying to break that, which again, coming back to a food addiction, how do you break the habit of doing something you have to do to survive? So what do you do then? How do you do it? Um, One of the key things I do do because I do notice that if I ever went on what I'll call a binge, um, it would generally be on the sofa, probably with the telly on. I wouldn't be aware of what was on the telly, and I wouldn't be aware of what I was eating. It would be a complete just non-conscious act, really. Mm -hmm. So one thing I've done is obviously like mindfulness-based sort of cognitive therapy is like – Trying to eat mindfully—that is one huge thing. Now I would always eat on the go. Again, that kind of came with nursing; it's a bit of the territory. You're always eating on the go. Now I will consciously make an effort to sit at the table and I will eat, and I will have no distractions. I won't have my phone. I won't have an iPad. I won't have you know music on, telly on. There'll be nothing, so that I'm fully aware, all my awareness is on what I'm eating
0: yeah
1: because then as I when I said earlier on I don't have that switch that says you're full if I put all my awareness into eating it's almost like a sort of common sense switch right you know whereas before I'd eat what I've done and then because I've been sat in from the telly I'll be like oh right I'll go out and grab this or now now I'll grab that or I fancy that when you eat mindfully you number one you enjoy your food a million times more so you feel a lot more satisfied but it's also just it's it's just the awareness and having to set quite strict boundaries with yourself right which can Um, be difficult it, it is very difficult and it's one of those things where if I've eaten, after I've eaten, I have to make myself very busy.
0: I see. Avoidance of the...
1: Hmm. Take Best my attention thing. somewhere else, completely somewhere else. Um, walk the dog. Go. If I've got things I need to do that involve me going out, because I work from home, if I've got some shopping to do or I've got to go to the post office or the bank, I'll do it after lunch because I'll eat and then I'll go. Because then by the time I've come back as well, the craving or that need to sort of go into that almost out of control cycle has passed.
0: But it's quite a good way of coping with it, really. It's like me when I when I tried to quit weeds because that was the, the the longest thing. It's like I needed to at the times where I'd sit and have a joint, I needed to be busy doing something so that I didn't have that space to go Oh, I, I need I need to join yeah. like
1: this definitely because if there is a space you will fill it with something and if there's nothing else to fill it with it would be well i have more food
0: oh my goodness and has this changed the way you look at food especially around your yes. children do you do anything yes. different with the kids
1: um i'm i'm not restricted with food on the children in any shape or form um which is a good job really, because my son is 12 and I'm sure he's about to shoot up by about a foot because he's eating me out of house and home on a daily basis. Um, Again, it's having this awareness. It's just being really mindful of everything that's going on around you. It's like, if the kids ask for some crisps or a biscuit, yeah, you can have one. But then there's been a couple of instances where I've noticed they've come in with two so I will say, no, you need to put one back. And then we'll be a conversation. And it's never, ever anything to do with um, eating too much or fatty food or weight. It will be t- the salt content, the fat that will have on your heart, your blood pressure. What problems does blood pressure cause? It can cause heart attacks. It can cause strokes. It's that element. Um, I'm quite lucky with my son because he is naturally a very healthy eater. He will quite happily sit there and eat a whole bowl full Of um, peppers and carrots, and he'll take an entire pepper out of the fridge and eat it like an apple. Whereas my daughter, (laughs) very predisposed to, you know, the sort of other end of the spectrum on food. Um, And I did notice with her a few years back. I thought she was getting a bit bigger. I noticed she was getting a bit bigger than her friends. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like I'm sort of. That was hard because I'm looking and i thinking, I don't want her to be bigger because I don't want her to live the life I've left lived as a bigger woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being referred to with all the horrible names that people like to call bigger women. I didn't want her to go down that road, but then at the same time, there was no way on this earth I was gonna mention anything about her size or anything. And I thought well, she's probably gonna, she's changing shape anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and she has. She's now got an absolutely fantastic figure. She's not a rake like most of the girls in her year at school, which I'm really glad about because I just see red flags left, right, and centre with them all. She will eat. And she jokes around about it or She's going, I'm never going to be skinny. I love my food. <laughs> but at the same time, she knows when to stop because they've both been very much brought up with healthy, home, home-cooked food. I'm not going to say healthy in the fact that we never have cheese or we never have anything like, you know, which a lot of people, oh gosh, can't touch that food group or can't touch that food group. It's a balanced, home-cut, healthy food. Brilliant. And that's kind of what they're at. If they want some crisps, they can have them. If they want an apple, they can have it. Yeah. So, and I think in all fairness, they've kind of come out quite unscathed. <laughs> so we'll
0: find out in a few years <laughs> J- <laughs> we'll
1: see, see what happens <laughs> but I, was, I was remember comments constantly when i was growing up about my my weight or my size from, from my mom, mom.
0: really mm. Mm. do you think that this is a thing when people project their hang-ups onto others you know, it's...
1: I remember when I would have been about sixteen, I think I was about sixteen. We went on holiday, we went on a family holiday to Turkey, and I had my first bikini and didn't really think anything of it. A lot of the girls on holiday my age did anything of it. And we went on this day trip and it was this place where we went, there was this there were turtles and it was like sulphur, the sand. It was almost like mud in the sea was full of sulfur so the idea was you covered it in your body it's supposed to be amazing for your skin and we've got a photograph of me and my mum covered because when it dries it goes gray hmm. covered in this stuff and I'm wearing this bikini and I still remember to this day my mum turned around and said really didn't think it was a good idea when you got that bikini because I thought you're going to be too big for it but actually you don't look too bad Wow! I still remember it she said it in such a, a loving way because I think she thought she was being nice but I was just like Wow! And then I look at this photo of me and my mum, covered in this stuff, and me in this bikini. I would give anything to be that bloody slim. I looked amazing.
0: It's so. Funny.
1: I looked fantastic, and I just thought, "Wow, you really looked at me then, and thought I was too big." Oh my god! So it's almost like this sort of level was put there for me to achieve, me to adhere to, and it almost felt like it didn't matter what I did. Yeah. I think the only way I would have actually made I'm not saying made her happy. That's that's wrong. I don't want to paint her out to be a bad person in any shape or form. She's not, but I think the only place she'd have been satisfied is probably if I was size zero, because I think that was more to do with what was in her head
0: it is absolutely madness because that generation it is I, I i you know we we were talking about my auntie who's got dementia at the moment and all mm. she goes on about she's in her 80s and all she goes on about is staying slim that yeah. was like back in the day you know um you know they all yes. smoked didn't they to keep slim and, yes and ate
1: celery in sticks. the 60s and the 70s and everything yeah yeah and then, and it had to be yeah. slim back then
0: thank goodness we are not in those times anymore well mm-hmm. we are kinder but it's I, I feel like it's changing because you know p- places are using bigger models
1: and and it's yes definitely which is so it's great to see as well people are you know the whole body shaming thing is you know it is kind of recognised for the shaming prejudice behaviour that it is and ultimately we all have a right to be exactly who we want to be. I have no interest anymore in fitting in my society. Um, You know, I'm I'm six foot tall, I think I'm probably about a size 18 at the moment. But in six, six weeks, I should be running the Cardiff half marathon. Go on. Well, I think there's, you know, and it won't be my first I've run half marathons before and I've applied for my first marathon. Um, There's many people out there who might be a size eight or 10 like to see them go and run a marathon because they couldn't but this is the point the way you look it just has nothing to do with who you are inside yeah and what you can achieve you don't have to be a particular way that society says to achieve the goals that you want to no be yourself i can be a bigger woman and still be strong yeah, I went to the gym this morning. My legs are gonna hate me tomorrow, but my God, did I push some weights this morning? It was great. Oh <laughs> my
0: goodness, I love weights. They're the best, aren't they?
1: <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. But I know I'm not gonna be able to walk tomorrow.
0: <laughs> wow, I I gotta say though, like you know. It, from from how you're saying like you're managing all these triggers but you're actually so comfortable in who you are now and like you just said I don't want to fit into society I am me and it's who I am inside not what I bloody look like
1: exactly I mean I've worked a lot on sort of how I feel about my own self my own self-love a lot lately and yes I can definitely say that but then at the same time see this is another thing isn't it it's You know, people understand that if an alcoholic goes dry and recovers from alcoholism, it's understood they're still an alcoholic, they're just in recovery. Yeah. Well, you'll see maybe a person go on a healthy eating regime, an exercise regime, and they'll lose weight. Oh, well done, fantastic, brilliant, you can carry on now. No, it's exactly the same for a food addiction as an alcohol addiction. This is going to be with me for the rest of my life. I said to you earlier on when we were chatting, you know, there were some things yesterday that really annoyed me. One of the first things I did, I went into the kitchen, I grabbed three bags of crisps and I took them into the living room on the sofa in front of the telly, and it was like it's still there. It's it will always still be there. Did you and again it's
0: in the moment? I did.
1: I I only ate one. (laughs)
0: Yay!
1: But the thing is, it's there. Yeah. And again, an alcoholic can make sure there's not a drop of alcohol in the house. A drug addict can make sure there isn't. And someone that maybe has an online gambling problem, there's quite a lot they have to do to get on to get the accounts in things like that. And obviously, um, I don't know. if Maybe with the gambling problems, you can get yourself off banned from the site, so you can That's restrict that. access and things. With food, you can't. You can't. You might even it. go into the local shop to get some milk without there being aisles of food and they always put the milk at the back to temperature with everything you beforehand
0: it's all psychology that's what they do it for
1: mm. oh don't get me started <laughs> i hate hate food shopping with a passion do you loathe it absolutely hate it it must
0: just be triggered triggers down every mm. aisle yeah
1: do you and do? the thing is as well because i would say i would probably say i don't like food I don't like to cook food,
0: don't
1: you? I don't like being around food, so walking around a supermarket, thinking what can I cook is just yeah,
0: should imagine
1: well I can't it's but work. Work. yeah. All I can say is thank God for online shopping. <laughs> That's what I
0: was going to say. Do you do a click and collect or anything like that? Because then that yeah. way it's totally you totally like you know wow. It's just I'm just shopping, so I'm just doing this like, mm-hmm. like ordering a pair of trousers on the internet. Yeah,
1: it? yeah. So, just get it all delivered and it's there. Put it away,
0: and you can't see uh, the goodies that are at the end of the aisle as you're paying. And uh, you
1: exactly, that. <laughs> they tempt you with everything. But yeah, food shopping, just absolutely hate it with a passion.
0: Did you get any professional
1: help with this or have you done it all yourself? All myself. Wow. Yeah. I did speak to my GP about it. Yeah. They did nothing. I remember once I was... I can't think why. i have gone to a doctor about something, something completely irrelevant. And I could see the screen, the conductor's screen, and it said. I noticed some notes on there, and it says something about I was on something along the lines of a severe mental health register. And I was like, "What the heck's that? What? Like, why am I? What? <laughs> what is it? Why am I on it?" And I remember saying to the doctor, I was like, what the hell is that? And you like, oh, yeah, it's, it's because of your eating disorder. I'm like, oh, what? The eating disorder that no one has ever bothered to help me with. So you'll stick me on a register, but not help me. They've, they've dotted the I's
0: and crossed the T's, love. That's what
1: it is. Yeah. Labelled me, but not actually help me. Yeah.
0: They, oh, don't get me started. Don't get
1: me started. <laughs> i did tell my mom i do remember telling my mom and she just looked horrified and it was never mentioned again so i didn't bother with that one
0: guilt <laughs> i mean
1: <laughs> yeah guilt shame not quite sure what that one is to this day it's never been mentioned again so lastly kirsty because i honestly
0: this is blowing my mind what advice would you give to anyone out there who that may be struggling themselves or they've got a child who was who struggling, what would your advice be to
1: them? I think definitely learn, try... In all fairness, you know, saying about not getting any help, I think one of the things with this, it does have to be a journey of self-discovery. I think you've got to really, really get to know yourself. Yeah. Find out why, find out what your triggers are, try and make sense, because until you know any of that... Um you're just gonna end up getting put on a massive, massive dosage of fluoxetine. There is actually a bulimia dosage of fluoxetine. What? Um, yeah, yeah, three, three tablets a day is the bulimic dosage for fluoxetine, or it certainly used to be. Um, to avoid it, just get to know yourself, get start to love yourself, try and talk to someone Know that you have absolutely no reason whatsoever to feel ashamed or guilty. Um, You haven't done anything wrong. One thing I will say, but I always say this to everyone because I think it is the key to a lot of things. Mindfulness. Definitely mindfulness. Try and develop your awareness of yourself, of what you do on a daily basis. Practice mindful eating. Um, Just... A lot of self work a lot, a lot of self work and also you tend to find, I think, when people have an issue with addiction and food. There is certainly this also this intrinsic belief of not being enough, not being good enough, of not deserving better. Um, And again, there's things that can be done to, you know, reprogram those beliefs. Because it is destructive And one thing I would say, which isn't something I have brought up, I know that people are very, very aware that anorexia can kill. Yes. I would like to also point out bulimia kills as well. Really? And bulimia also cures, causes a lot of other problems. Um, I have to take tablets every day for my stomach. It's affected my eyesight due to pressure. Wow so yeah it causes a lot of other problems as well but as same as anorexia bulimia does kill so please do reach out get help use you Sarah, as the point of call if they don't know where else to go um i know that you know a lot of people you can put people in touch with if it's not something you can do help with yourself but there are people out there who will listen who do want to talk to you about it who do want to help you um You may have a great GP that you can speak to. um, But if not, there are lots and lots of people out there. But again, it is an addiction. And it can be helped and it can be treated. Um, I always say this to my therapy clients. I wish so much I had a magic wand that I could just wave take it all away. Take everything away in an instant. Unfortunately, I can't. And it does involve hard work. You know, this started for me. Well, I was at uni; I'd be nineteen, and I was literally forty-three at the weekend. So, this has been going on quite a few years—almost twenty-five years. Wow. Um, and it's you know, it's it's only in the last five, seven years I'd say I've what I would call had it under some reasonable control. Yeah. Where it's not taking over my life on a daily basis. Where it's not all I think about. Where it's not all I try to avoid. Where it's not self consuming. So just mm-hmm. please reach out for help. Yeah. Um, mindfulness is a big one. Mindful eating is a big one. Yeah. Um, wow. Oh, my
0: goodness. It's it's such a big subject. And I think people
1: it is you know, really and it's okay. hard thing to say, it's hard to say what's you know, what would you advise someone because I don't think there's any one you know, one size fits all, I can't say I did this one thing, because I haven't, I've done multiple, multiple things, I've read so many books, I've worked, done inner child work, Um, I've done a lot of work on limiting beliefs, I've done a lot of work on self-love, I think one thing definitely would be trying your hardest to maintain a healthy, balanced diet, do not restrict anything, unless it's for medical reasons, that you have allergies to specific food groups do not restrict anything do not ever diet don't join slimming world weight watchers don't do keto don't do glu- go gluten free unless you're celiacs don't go dairy free just eat a balanced healthy diet with exercise yeah that in itself is a great first step because also with the exercise, as you know it releases the endorphins the neurotransmitters um i said earlier on there is a bulimia dose of fluoxetine which is 60 milligrams which is three tablets a day well fluoxetine helps the production of serotonin Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and of course serotonin is one of the neurotransmitters that would be released during exercise yes so things like that and a healthy balanced diet again 90 percent of your serotonin is made in your gut not your brain they give you these tablets it's not even made in your brain. It's made in your gut. So look into your gut health because you tend to find, and this was one thing I did find, the foods that I was craving were all down typical classic foods due to an unhealthy gut biome. Right. And I think it was, was it about two years ago I did that gut health course? Yes. Yeah. And that was, that was really eye-opening. I learned so much about that. You know, so I now have, I have kefir in my diet, I have sauerkraut, I take acidophilus and things, and I keep my tummy happy, and then you'll find you'll be happier, but if your gut's not all unhappy and stagnant, it's not going to crave the foods that feed that stagnant, you want the fresh, healthy stuff, so I think that's probably it, healthy, balanced diet, no diets. no restrictive diets whatsoever, do not cut out food groups. Um, exercise, gut health, and definitely mindful eating.
0: Yeah, because you you've also got a course, haven't you? A mindfulness course that, that
1: if, I have. Get... a Yeah, I've, I've written and designed. It's an eight week course in mastering mindfulness, which is sort of an introductory level, really. Yeah, um, which comprises of tea. there is actually a mindful eating meditation in there. So each yeah. module has meditations and journaling exercises. So i really do believe that if we can all adopt adapt adopt adopt <laughs> a more mindful approach to life um it does make a huge difference it doesn't take your problems away but it helps you deal with them
0: yeah in a much
1: not, more proactive way yeah you
0: don't react you kind of respond and you, and you exactly. make exactly you, you mindfulness is so 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 important it's so Definitely. I'll, I'll put the link um, to the write up of this podcast on. Um, I'll do it on Facebook and on Instagram. So if the guys do want to take part in it, they can they can contact you and and look into it. How
1: does that sound? Well, what I would do for you as well, then I'll also send you the MP3 for the mindful eating meditation. Oh,
0: thank you so much.
1: So if anyone would like to have a go at it, it's quite a nice. You can do it with either a raisin or a piece of chocolate. It's entirely up to you. Raisin does actually work better.
0: I'm intrigued,
1: <laughs> a <hell> <laughs> the weird thing is, the weird thing is, this raisin will be the best raisin you've ever eaten in your life, and that's no word of a lie.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, definitely, definitely get me this link and I'll put it out for the
1: guys, and then we can all have a yeah. go. I can't wait and have a go at the mindful eat. And I mean, and that's a great thing for everyone, whether you have issues with food or not. That's just a great thing anyway for your digestion, for your health, and any meditation is beneficial. So that should help as well. So, yeah, I'll send that over to you as well. That can be a free gift for your listeners.
0: Oh, thank you, Kirsty. Oh, my goodness. This this has been mind-blowing. I still... I'm finding it hard to take it in and I and I feel for for anybody who may be going
1: through this it'd be like being addicted to water you know what I mean Like yeah it's not too dissimilar because again food and water you have to have both to survive yeah food water and breath You can't survive without those three you can't even lose one and think oh I'll get by on the other two you have to have all three or you will die so yeah it's Hence why I said at the very beginning of this podcast, there's been many times in my life I've sat and thought to myself, why couldn't I have been addicted to something else? Bless your
0: heart. Because I
1: feel that would have been easier. And that's no discredit to people that have gone through other addictions, because I know that is such a hard thing to do. And huge applause to anyone and love to anyone that's gone through it. But from my personal point of view sometimes I think maybe it would have just been a bit easier yeah
0: oh bless your heart
1: well <laughs> Kirsten,
0: thank you so much for your time today this has been absolutely you are welcome brilliant. and you know maybe we'll hear from you again in the not so distant future <laughs> you are, you've got like a wealth of knowledge so like you said you're a counsellor you're a therapist so you deal with a lot of different issues so we love having you on the show so thank you so much oh
1: thank you so much <laughs> See you soon See you
0: soon So there you have it Wow, what a brave lady kirstie is. I do hope you enjoyed the show and it has helped you in some way. I will uh, post the meditation and and Kirsty's links for you on Facebook and Instagram Uh, sorry not Instagram because you're not allowed to do links but on Facebook anyway and so you can take advantage of those thank you so much for the free gifts Kirsty okay so join us on the 12th of February where I'm going to be hosting an addiction research show I do hope you'll join us for that but until then stay safe stay well and I'll see you all again you've been listening to the it's a crazy life podcast my name's sarah and i've been your host this podcast is dedicated to raising awareness for mental health whilst helping to end the stigma